0: The no. Youthscape Podcast! No.
1: The Youthscape Podcast.
0: Hi everybody and welcome to the Youthscape Podcast, which is the podcast where we eat jammy toast. I can see Martin's toast in the corner. And we chat about the good and the great, and we listen to the good and the great, really. It's yeah. mainly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Martin, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's I mean, lovely I to have you are you I'm week. not going to be
1: eating the jammy toast
0: Oh, during... Well, I,
1: Speaking. Do you th- oh I'll, wait, I'll record the okay. podcast and then I'll eat the jammy And toast. then
0: I'll eat the jammy taste. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I might sneak the jammy taste when he's not looking. But lovely listeners, I wanted to actually start with a really like warm and loving, and I'm now stroking his arm. Because as I was driving into work this morning, um obviously hands-free, phone and all the rest of it, I had a phone call from Martin saying, Rach you want a coffee and my little heart just went oh, he knows it's been wow. a stressful morning i need a coffee so thank small you Martin. Things. small, small things. things aren't small things wonderful i hope someone's done something lovely for you this morning i worry That's...
1: that this is now you know setting a precedent a yeah. dangerous oh, yeah. precedent because oh, you yeah. always arrive second on podcast recording I do, day don't I, do. You,
0: so. I like to, i like to make an entrance i haven't taken my coat off i like to not take my coat off i sort of swoop in pick up my coffee yeah and then they press record, and I like my galois <laughs> and I air smoke.
1: Will you will you take your coat off at some point I during the recording?
0: I will when it warms up? Okay, Martin. Hello. This morning, it's it's mostly it's all about you, no, it's not. Martin. No, no, no. Because you record, you did an interview with with an amazing. Can I just say, guys, this is an amazing, amazing interview. Yeah. Get ready for this. I. Do you know what? I'm
1: going to make a bold statement. This might be the best oh. interview I've done.
0: Oh ah, okay, alright.
1: I mean uh, Well I mean the good so news far. is that
0: you pressed record and you I didn't have to go and I didn't have to then go afterwards yeah. on bended knees saying to our dear guests, I'm so sorry. So but.
1: have we have we talked about have we ever talked about the fact that this happened? <laughs> so yeah. we did record an entire I record an entire <laughs> interview with someone. And then didn't record it, and then you had to go. I, I was so embarrassed that I couldn't oh, go and tell them, so, so I sent you I so to go and apologise. I told and then them re-recorded. so many
0: times. I mean, yeah. I, I told them an email, I texted them, I sent pictures, little messages. Can I can't just remind you? This is the reason why. Yeah. It was so. Ha- I mean, it was so. They happy. curse
1: my name. <laughs> no, they curse so my name.
0: But this is a true friend of yours, and you yeah. truly press record, and did. and it's fair I to say. I asked three questions as asked, well. So <laughs> I did that fair to say i think uh, we kind of love the fact that we have some dear friends in america who have to listen to the podcast as part of their sort of curriculum yes but i i have to say this one i think all of us who are in the great university of life we should get some kind of credit just for listening to this one because okay. i think what we learn in this podcast is phenomenal this guy's yeah. a planet brain isn't he
1: so this is uh andy Root who is Professor of Youth Ministry Mm -hmm. at Luther Seminary in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota.
0: That's means right, now, it? To me, my darling, but keep going and
1: uh, and he's the author of an extraordinary yeah. number and as we discuss in the interview wide range and variety <laughs> of books he is a planet brain he he you spoke at the youth work summit uh, yeah. uh, the last ever youth work summit you could say he killed the youth work summit he spoke at the youth work summit uh, a few years ago and was absolutely brilliant mm. and a lot of people know him from various different places but but if you don't you are in for a treat because i sat down for about a good like 35 minutes with Andrew Root, and it is all of it, apart from maybe the bit where I'm speaking, and this is a phrase I like at the moment, (laughs) gold dust. (laughs) So I'm very excited to be joined uh, transatlantically by my friend Andrew Root, who uh, is uh, right over in the United States, where, up at some ungodly hour to talk to me. Uh, what time is it there, Andy?
2: Uh, I think it's like uh, 3.50 a.m. in the morning. It's <laughs> not, no, I'm not actually true. I'm kidding. I just wanted to act like I was uh, really dedicated to this <laughs> podcast. No, it's like, it's like 7.30, so all's good.
1: That's still pretty good. Thank you for, for, for joining me. Um, I've, I've already explained to you that most people listen to this uh, podcast for Rachel, uh, who's who's not on this segment? So I hope people will stick with us for what I hope will be an enlightening uh, interview. Yeah, with you. actually,
2: I thought I was going to be talking to Rachel, so I'm a little disappointed.
1: <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so well, look, um, many people will have come across your your writing, Andy, um, and some people will have heard you at events and at the YouthWorks Summit a couple of years ago. Um, but for the uninitiated, you just want to give us a little sort of potted history of of you and and your your kind of life and career as, as it pertains to youth ministry
2: oh my gosh yeah I, I guess i can do that yeah um so yeah i live here uh in the states i'm actually in houston right now in some nondescript uh hotel room but uh i live in the, the twin cities minneapolis st paul which uh our football team, uh, American football team, is the Vikings, which broke my heart again. I've uh, been a fan for 35 years, and they've never won anything oh, except no. uh, or accomplished anything except breaking my heart. So we got uh, beat by the Philadelphia Eagles last week, and now we host the Super Bowl um, next week in our city. So it's like, uh, huh. I don't know, it's it's like dating a really attractive person you've fallen in love with and then she breaks up with you and you have to be the bartender at her wedding and the
1: next weekend is what it kind of feels like. Would you, would you still have hosted it if you'd been in the final? Can you have that in American football?
2: Uh, yes. Yeah, so they they pick the host city like four years oh, earlier. Oh no. Um, so so they may. Yeah, we built this huge new stadium, which is in many ways completely unethical, where you spend two billion dollars building an NFL football stadium while your you know kids in your city can't eat. But you know. Yeah have have priorities in America. Yeah. Um, so you build this big stadium and then the NFL because they're they're the mafia. They promise you you'll get a Super Bowl if you uh, spend taxpayer dollars on the stadium. So we knew we were going to have a Super Bowl for for 4 years before uh this season started and then it looked like we would be the first team ever to actually host the super bowl and be in it. Oh. And then it all blew up in our face. So, um, yeah.
1: so anyhow, I'm sorry. It's not the question you asked. No, but we are, we are, we are all really sorry. Cause it seems to mean a lot to you.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, probably very unspiritually. It means, uh, too much to me, but no, I teach uh, youth ministry classes at Luther seminary and, have written on youth ministry and just ministry and kind of thinking theologically about uh, the practice of ministry, but youth ministry specifically. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I what what I do. I've uh, done a lot of youth ministry in my day. Worked for Young Life for a while, and uh, my wife's a Presbyterian pastor, so still teach confirmation and things like that. And uh, yeah, so a little bit of practice, but then a lot of academic work and writing and things like that so and, that's me
1: and and we might get onto some of your earlier books uh if we have time um but you actually have not just one but two new books out in the last sort of few months right yeah
2: it's uh, it's actually a little bit embarrassing they just kind of came out um it seems just a little bit arrogant to be like everybody wants to read a new book by me every two months so i apologize to people <laughs> that these That these things uh, came out kind of back to back. But, um, yeah, one is this uh, book called um, Faith Formation in a Secular Age, which um, came out in October, I believe. Yeah. And uh, we can talk about that a little bit if you want. But then I have this book on science, too, called um, Exploding Stars, Dead Dinosaurs, and Zombies, which, again, the title maybe makes it sound cooler than it
1: is. Well, we'll uh, find out. You, um, you you obviously, the first one, um, you mentioned their faith formation and secular age has um, pretty much been on the, 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 the desk of everyone I know in youth ministry in the last uh, three or four months. So I, I hope that's reflected in the royalties you receive. But uh, certainly everyone in youth ministry in the UK seems to be reading that or or if I'm honest, like me, intending to read it. Uh, let's just say that up front.
2: Yeah. Well, the most important thing is that you have a copy.
1: Yes. Exactly. That is the most important <laughs> thing. So, um, so, so, do you just want to explain a little bit about um, uh, what that book is about? It, it, you know, it might sound a little self-explanatory from the title, but but what what's that trying to do?
2: Yeah. It's. Um, yeah. It, it, I guess it's a little self-explanatory, but um, I'm trying to be in dialogue. With just some of the transitions that we've all experienced, we all know about and maybe we've been even talking about for a few decades. but it, it feels like we've had a, a pretty passionate push at least here in North America, that we have to really think about faith formation and um, passing on faith and and uh, you know all sorts of, uh, different objectives have come out from from multiple different kind of youth ministry providers. on thinking about how we keep young people from leaving the church or disaffiliating. Or it's been a kind of catchy phrase here in the states. We've uh, talked about the rise of the nuns, where yeah. the disaffiliation and the largest growing religious group is those who check none on a on a survey. And so people have been pretty worried about that. I think uh, here. And so I'm trying to step back a little bit and and ask the question, well, how did we get here Mm. in part one of the book? And then part two is kind of a theological critique, because I've always found it kind of shocking that these, particularly these practical programs, which I think in many ways are really good, but what's kind of fascinating is that they never really define what faith is. And so, um, I mean, it's kind of a presumed category, which I think unfortunately then kind of gets overtaken by more um, sociological um, or kind of gets just overtaken by the social sciences in a certain way, which I think the social sciences are incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the social sciences can define what faith is, that faith has a deeper spiritual and, and theological depth to it. And so it's it, the, book is, the book is kind of almost, uh, part one and part two, it's almost two different books. I mean, it's not, but it kind of is where, uh, part one is trying to show why this is so hard, why faith formation is actually such a difficult thing um, in a secular age, and why a secular age kind of deems the passing on faith um, with really deep new challenges. And then part two is trying to respond to that theologically. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the shape it takes.
1: And and do you do you think this is a sign? Uh, what we're seeing and what you're describing in terms of concern in the American church is this america starting to wake up from its slumber a little bit and and realize it's um uh no longer in that very safe space it used to be because we've had for many years kind of uh dialogue with the us where americans and youth ministry have said oh you guys in the uk you're well they sit they used to say 25 30 years ahead of us you've become post-christian whereas we're still very much a christian nation are we starting to see a realization that that's no longer the case that you can't take for granted that um, everyone is just going to have some residual level of uh, Christian faith as they grow up?
2: Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think there's ways that the American experience, um, I mean, I think people in the main line in the States have, have been much closer to the experience in the UK for decades. But I think the whole kind of the whole across Christianity in the States, I think we're starting to recognize it's similar I think what's interesting, though, is that there always be, I think, in some sense, an American exception. And one of the things that's been fascinating with me and the dialogues that I've been in uh, around this book has been with Charles Taylor's work, who is a Canadian uh, philosopher, um, who's, I think, uh, just an absolute genius um, taught at Oxford for a while, but spent most of his career at McGill in Montreal. But he's just, you know, he's as a Canadian, he can look right into the States, but also is connected uh, to Europe and and to the UK as well. And, And I think his insights are really just quite profound. But one of the things that he points to that I think makes the American situation unique is he has these three kind of senses. Of, of ages he says where the you have the kind of ancient regime and then you have the age of mobilization and then you have the age of authenticity and this has gone over the last 500 years and so in the, in the ancient regime you just kind of have this sense like well the way the world is um is uh, a reflection of heaven. So just as God sits on God's throne, so the queen sits on her throne. And yeah. so, you know, everything is ordered in this way. And then you enter into the age of mobilization where it's not that our society has to reflect uh, heaven, but we, the people, get to do what we, we get to create the society we want to. So we mobilize our own way of life. Mm-hmm. And I think the American experience is we've never had in kind of an ancient regime. So we've always been mobilizing people. We mobilized our society. We created this. And in the religious context, that's made denominationalism in America a very kind of strong reality, almost a, a hyperly chaotic reality yeah. where you can have all sorts of different Presbyterian denominations rising up. And when people don't like each other, they just mobilize a new kind of denomination yeah. And that And that freedom to be able to mobilize gives people in America the perception that religion is theirs, um, that it's not some elite class, it's not you know the bishop who's connected to um, you know some highborn noble person or something. That we always have been kind of able to mobilize it ourselves. So the American consciousness has no connection back to. Um, a world that most Europeans and, um, and and people in the UK kind of have at least some kind of memory to uh, mm. connected to. But Taylor's point is that we all find ourselves at this third age, which is the age of authenticity where we have this kind of sense that every human being has a right to define for themselves what it means to be human. Um, and that the only authority you should really listen to is what actually speaks to you, what has veracity for you, what what's meaningful for you. And I think we're all in that situation. Um, it's just how we got there has been a little bit different. But the challenge that that raises for all of us, if you follow Taylor, and I, I agree with him here, is that it becomes much harder for people to imagine and even have their lives bent towards uh, a sense of a divine reality or a transcendent reality, mm-hmm. uh, that that becomes a much harder thing for them to, to kind of um, intuitively sense or know. Uh, so that's my big push, is that if we're going to talk about forming faith, we have to talk about how— concrete, lived people in, encounter the presence of a living God. And in a secular age, that becomes hard. That becomes contested. Mm. That's not obvious for people. And so that becomes a real challenge for the youth worker. Um, you can do all sorts of great practices and get kids to pray but if deeply they have kind of an unthought presumption like that it's kind of an immature thing to think you could pray to an invisible person and they do something for you Mm. that's a whole different different challenge i think so that's
1: that's kind of the shape it takes and 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 part of that i suppose is this this sense i mean we we talk about um uh tolerance here as being the sort of the great um uh the highest virtue and so um everybody gets to define their own truth and the greatest sin that you can commit in modern culture is to tell somebody else their own truth isn't true so so in in some senses we've maybe thought that there's space for the gospel there because it gives us an opportunity to tell other people uh what we believe but i think increasingly uh, i encounter this with young people they're very happy to listen to what i have to say they're not easily convinced by what i have to say that they that they somehow should change their beliefs or shape towards my uh, my truth because they have their own distinct idea of what the truth is and 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 so there's this idea that we all we all operate with our own uh, tr- and there's all sort of this dis- dissolution of of absolute truth which is then i suppose why it becomes very difficult to start suggesting well there's one way that's right
2: yeah 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 that's right and so i yeah, I think that's true i think in the age of authenticity you know you, you, you'll hear young people and you'll hear their parents say well that's great that that works for you yeah i mean if that works for you that's great i'm not i'm not opposed to that working for you but that's not how that works for me and so yeah i mean i think that becomes a, a real challenge for us and we're talking about faith formation we're talking about forming young people in a way of being and acting in the world and uh and and i think that has to have a kind of deep sense of of action but if that just becomes hard for young people to imagine that becomes a, a real challenge in ministry i think
1: so so what i mean i don't want you to obviously give away the second half of the book here but what are some of the kind of clues what are some of the directions you think we need to move in if we are gonna do uh Good faith formation in in this different time that you describe. What what is the kind of general direction you think we need to go in? Well, I'm, yeah,
2: I mean, one of the things that I'm trying to work out in 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 kind of my description in, in this in, part of the problem, and I, I worry about the book in some ways that it, it feels a little. Uh, convoluted basically because I'm just working with Taylor and Taylor's one of those philosophers who just makes up words and makes up concepts. And so you're always feeling, I think I know what he's saying, but I'm not sure I know what he's saying. And so, um, I mean, but because things work kind of both ways and so Taylor's saying in this age of the secular is that people have all sorts of freedom to just kind of reject things and like we just said like well that works for you but that people still nevertheless have these deep belongings and so one of the most powerful things that I think Taylor says is that in the secular age all believers doubt I mean there's just very few people who can live in this age and not be thrust into doubt sometimes it's just kind of the conditions in which we live in that we're going to doubt But what's fascinating is he says it also is true that in a secular age, sometimes all doubters believe. So Mm -hmm. even people who don't believe anything or will state like to you, well, that's good for you that you go to church or that you think there's a God, but I don't need that. Sometimes they get crossed up and sometimes they wonder if there isn't more going on here. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the ways forward is to actually respect people's experience and to create spaces for them to articulate that experience. And so um, one of my big things, at least in the the context of of, of the American church, is that we've got to get past, I think, always talking about the church how the church needs to change or the leadership needs to change. And I think what becomes actually transformational is if we find ways to actually talk about God Mm -hmm. and to make God um, kind of the focus of what we're talking about. And I mean, at its most base doing theology Mm -hmm. and I don't mean doing it in this kind of academic vein, but really working on talking about God and if the church is ever going to be able to respond or change or reform Um, outside of some of our frustrations or beyond some of the frustrations we have, I think it will be conversations um, about the encounter with God. But those can't be disconnected from experience as well. So I try to wrestle with Paul. I mean, um, the second half of the book just tries to be kind of a biblical theology that uh, looks into what Paul actually thought about faith. And my perception is that what Paul really thinks faith is is an experience of the living Christ who comes to you in a death experience that comes to you in the shape of the cross. And so um, I think one of the things that happens in formation is that we have to create spaces for young people to articulate uh, their experiences, their experiences of being crossed up, their experiences of where they kind of sense a, a death experience and then be ministered to in and through those. And uh, so it's a kind of a moment of, of con- confession within that where we share in each other's lives in a deep way that I think we can start to make um, assertions that, that God is present in those moments.
1: Mm, and that, that seems to resonate with. There's been a bit of research here recently in the UK um, around uh, how young people um, uh, find themselves interested in the big questions these days, and and the research actually said often they don't find themselves asking those those big questions. They're, um, uh, they're, they're increasingly the kind of apologetics. Uh, approach is maybe redundant with with modern young people because they're not asking those big questions anymore. but where where the interest does show up is around those sort of moments of crisis um, where yeah. they're encountering suffering or or a, a death experience close to them. So I guess that would resonate with with what you're saying here that the the natural place for us to, uh, to walk with young people and talk about God is when they are at their most vulnerable and, 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 and most grief stricken, not so that we can take advantage of them when they're weak, but because that's perhaps where the cross is most relevant. Yeah, I
2: think so. And where, um, yeah. And so it, it it's definitely that kind of articulation of those moments. And and I want to push beyond those too. I mean, I don't think the the point of youth ministry is, you know, to become like, uh, a Norwegian metal band or something where we just kind of all dress in black and are super into death. Um, I don't think that's the point. And I don't think yeah. that's what actually Paul's getting at. You know, like Paul's trying to build these communities around joy and around flourishing. Yeah. And that's all there. But I think he thinks, I think Paul's trying to say that what faith is, and what to be formed in faith, is to take on this narrative shape of Jesus', li- Jesus life where it moves from cross to resurrection to ascension it, it takes on, the, on these forms and so um i think I, you know what i try to work in the book and this is where i get a little insecure cause i tried to kind of a uh, show why moral therapeutic deism which of course you guys all know in the uk yeah. and it's been yeah. a, major American academic kind of export of uh, the youth ministry scene mm-hmm. that the kind of operative religion of the American teenagers, this moral therapeutic deism and Candidine and Christian Smith have been the ones who've kind of pushed that, which I think is really good, good interpretation, at least of the American context. And I've tried to show that actually that's exists in a larger cultural reality of this age of authenticity. Mm-hmm. But then my response has been, and this is where I'm insecure because I use like three Greek words to to oppose it, but instead of moral therapeutic deism, the kind of faith we're trying to work is something that takes the shape of kenosis, hypostasis, and theosis. See, it makes all your listeners vomit just a little bit in their mouth. <laughs> uh, but uh, but my point is actually that we, the way faith is formed is to kind of take this kenotic moment where we, kind of, we humble ourselves enough to be aware and open to listen to another person's death experience or to listen to another person's experience. And in that moment of, of that shared kind of storytelling, that sh- that moment of sharing, sharing and being with one another, that we share in each other's personhood in a significant way. So that becomes this kind of hypostatic moment of, of being with and for each other. And in those moments of being with and for each other, that's usually built around and, in, and through a death experience, We're, I think, taken up into the life of Christ, that something's transformed, that we uh, are bound to one another and being bound to one another, being bound to Christ. So I'm trying to do something that's a little odd in this book, at least from the American scene, and and trying to push push a deeper kind of Christology, that that youth ministry is about inviting—it's not about just getting young people committed to the institutional church and to come to youth groups or whatever programming you do, but it really is about how do we make the assertion, how do we even imagine— what Paul thinks faith is, which is to be in Christ, mm. that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. What does mm. that mean practically? What? How do we make sense of that? And how could you abs- How could you talk about that in the secular age? How could you actually talk about one's being being in Christ and Christ being being in you? Mm. Um, that's that's a really hard thing for us to get our our uh, mind around. But I'm trying to assert that there are actually these deep moments of relational connection which connects with my earlier work, I guess, that these deep moments of relational connection where we care for one another, where we minister to one another, Lord, Lord, when did we see you from you know Matthew 25 mm-hmm. when you shared in the life of your neighbor, when you humbled yourself and ministered to them and shared in their personhood, I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was concretely present in your midst. Mm-hmm. So really all the book in the second half is trying to articulate is, um, how does Matthew 25 really work and and how is Paul drawing on that? And how's Paul's own story of being this zealot guy who's going to purify um, his conception of, of Judaism and then gets knocked to the ground and the person of Jesus shows up to him and he has to reformulate what reality even looks like. And um, uh, how does Paul imagine faith is formed in that way?
1: Wow. Well, I mean, the book, you've done a masterful job of selling the book there. So I think, you know, uh, even people who have it on their desk and haven't yet opened it will now turn to it immediately and pick it up. But the the book is a uh, faith formation in a secular age. Now, I, let's. We're going to talk about your other book. Um, you know, you remind me a little bit of the filmmaker Danny Boyle. Um, we we oh, yeah. we, we have um we we have met in person, and uh, and of course I, you and I look quite similar. Um, you're sort of more attractive, younger version of myself um but um, i was actually
2: saying it goes the other way around but uh,
1: um i'll take the compliment sure 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 sure. um but but actually you're more like danny boyle because um danny boyle's the guy uh who who has sort of made a movie in every single genre so he's done sci-fi but he's also done like family comedies and then he's done slumdog millionaire which who knows where that fits and then he's done horror movies and and he's done dramas and thrillers and he basically keeps changing genre and you can't pin him down now your your previous book uh before this one was was about Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh Bonhoeffer work, youth worker now you've gone into faith formation now you've gone into um science and uh and and youth ministry so 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 what first of all before we even get there like are you do you get bored easily and want a complete change <laughs> of topic is that what it is
2: yeah, probably. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is my mind has been completely destroyed by uh, television and Netflix. And so um, I just have no attention span and I just move on very quickly. Um, now, The truth is, is that it's a very, very dumb idea as a business plan to just keep moving around. and uh, But that's what I've done. So I guess I do get bored easily. Um, and uh, I don't know. I tell my wife I'm miserable when I'm writing something, you know, oh. like writing a book. But I'm more miserable when I'm not. So I just keep getting up every day and typing away, trying to scrape some ideas out of my head painfully. Um, so uh, yeah, so they are very different. Um, however, now to justify myself, um, there is, I think, a through line um, kind of through all these things. I, I don't think it's as like profound as, I don't know, some director having a through line or... Um, Uh, Some maybe some great theologian, but uh, I you know, the, the Bonhoeffer book connected to the faith formation book, then to the science book, uh, it really is trying to explore how do we, as concrete as we can say, or in our really lived experience, encounter the presence of God? Um, can we? How can, how do we, the word I often use is how do we think about divine action? Does God still act in the world? And how do we live in a way that, that represents that, that witnesses to that? And that, for me, that always kind of lands in these deep moments of kind of relational connection, which goes back to Bonhoeffer where Bonhoeffer, I've never kind of escaped Bonhoeffer's, um, haunting of my life. And so Bonhoeffer's claim that Jesus Christ exists as church community or Jesus Christ exists as a community. Um, I've been, I think, trying to tease that out probably for my whole career of what that actually means, what that looks like for us. And, um, you know, like we said, with faith formation, the sense of is transcendence, is divine action something we can believe? I think that takes us pretty quickly into having to talk about and wrestle with the claims of science. And Mm. so um, science not completely, but in a major part, science changes the conditions in which we all live, um, the conditions where we once presumed that there were gods, there were demons, there was haunting, there was magic. All those things have uh, kind of disappeared for us Western people, and science played a major part in that. And I think young people are often crossed up around scientific questions, um, like, okay, so you tell me there's a personal being in the universe who knows my name, and cares about me. But we also know evolution says that there's going to be a mass extinction, and through pop culture right now, we're pretty worried about some kind of contagion or some kind of yeah. end of the world. So how could there be a loving God, and yet everything's going to die? Um, and I think those become really interesting questions. Or, okay, so you're asking me to take communion, and the communion's important, but why that important and what 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 happened if we found aliens would the whole christian story not make any sense to to an alien and um you know all sorts of questions like that so uh yeah i got i got interested in the in these scientific questions and uh tried to wrestle with them a little
1: bit so i'm guessing you're not it doesn't go the route of um i don't know if you've ever heard louis giglio's thing about there being a um at some sort of kind of element or something that actually secretly holds the whole of the universe together and is in the shape of, when you put it under a microscope, is actually in the shape of a cross uh, or, uh, or or the idea that dark matter in, in the universe is actually all, it's all God. It's just those are the bits we haven't discovered yet are all God holding it all. So it's, it's not that kind of uh, book.
2: No, it's not that kind of book. Um, But I think what uniquely the kind of book it is, is it's a book about, I tried to, I wrote it through kind of a fictional youth worker. And so it's trying to, uh, I pick up this fictional youth worker and um, he gets kind of confronted with all these scientific ideas that he's not really able or or trained to deal with what they all come from as young people. And so then it's kind of taken into these larger scientific ideas like evolution, like Big Bang Cosmology, and wrestling with them um, in and through the practice of ministry. So if there's a contribution, I think, in the book, I think youth ministry people will find it interesting just because it's about a youth worker. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping, and I guess this is one of my missions in life, is to kind of stay within youth ministry, but keep pushing out. Um, through youth ministry and, and as youth ministry as a vehicle into larger theological converse, conversations and trying to make a contribution. And I think there's an interesting way to think about the faith and science conversation uh, through the practice of ministry. And uh, so that's what the book kind of tries to do through a, a youth worker's kind of journey.
1: So that is uh, Exploding Stars, Dead Dinosaurs and Zombies, Youth Ministry in the Age of Science. And that is also now now out as well. So... Are you writing another book already?
2: (laughs) I I, yeah, I'm always working on something, so uh, I'm torturing myself. Yeah, it's going to be Danny
1: Danny Boyle style. You're going to go in a completely different direction now. This will be American football and and whites wreck my life as a lens through (laughs) which to view youth ministry. Oh my gosh, that's a great idea. I might have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well. I remember at the Youth Work Summit, you spent ages talking about where the dogs went to heaven. I feel like if you haven't done that one yet, that's that's surely a book you need to write.
2: Yeah, there's there's one out about that too. Yeah, oh,
1: perfect. Yeah. perfect. So um, before before you go, I know you've got a um, you're flying and all sorts of things today. Um, I did ask our listeners if they had any questions for you, and uh, okay. and I had a couple back, and I think we can we can knock some of these off really quickly. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you the ones I don't understand first. okay? Okay. So the hardest one is um, in uh, this is uh, Mike Eddie Edwards, who says in faith formation, you talk of hypostasis, which we've covered and the union with Jesus Mm -hmm. and each other. What are your reflections on social media in this? In a way, culturally, we've never had an easier way to live in union, but yet we, we don't seem to
2: yeah it's a great question I you know I, I always wish I was more of an expert on, on social media stuff um, because I think it's just such an interesting um, forum um, and it impacts our life in, in such a significant way I mean my, my take on it is that uh, that it really is a, a major tool in the age of authenticity where uh, one of the major objectives in, in social media is to present yourself and to represent yourself and you can actually mold your representation. So in some ways it gives us all sorts of inner uh, abilities to connect with each other, but it also breaks down, I think, this deeper kind of relational connection that I'm, I'm trying to pull us into it doesn't have to, but it often does because it, it it moves us into this hyper kind of move of what Taylor calls the the politics of recognition. So that in the age of authenticity where everyone gets to define for themselves what it means to be human, social media becomes your digital billboard Mm. for you to yell out, um, who you are and to ask other people to recognize you. Mm. And of course the winners of social media are those who get the most likes and retweets, Mm. which, um, can connect us, but it can kind of connect us in this certain kind of uh, at times competitive way. And I worry, and um, maybe your listeners will disagree, but I worry that sometimes it just it takes people's beautiful, distinct, broken, humanity and it, it it flattens them down to some kind of ideological perspective mm. so I don't like what you tweeted so I don't like you because you're on that team um, and yeah. that political t- that political side or whatever and, I, and, and I'm against you and at least that's what we're seeing in the states I mean they, this country's never been more divided and people quickly finding themselves in in a, in a group and in, in kind of social media becoming a kind of echo chamber so they only hear um, things that support their views and um and then we have fake news everywhere yeah yeah
1: I, we've done so well not to talk about your president uh in the first 30 <laughs> minutes so let's not let's not spoil it now um no nah,
2: i just ate breakfast so
1: I really don't. Uh, <laughs> there's a this is a much easier one from nathan shipley who asks uh, what is your favorite root vegetable
2: <laughs> i don't know i'm embarrassed to say because then someone's going to tell me i i, I uh I got it wrong. Um, are, are potatoes a root vegetable? I think
1: potatoes are a root vegetable, aren't they? I mean, okay. that's got to be the winner. I, th-
2: I think so. So, like, who, who's, what American is opposed to French fries? You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, that's, uh, this, this country was built on fatty, <laughs> uh, greasy foods. Uh, so, that's what I'm about. Yeah, French fries.
1: <laughs> okay, Chris Forster asks, uh, what is the best book you read? I mean, you, you wrote several, but what is the best book you read last year?
2: The best book I read last year. Gosh, that is a a really good question. Best book I read. So you know a book that uh, I thought maybe your listeners would would like, uh, since we've been talking about Charles Taylor, there's a really good book called, um, I'm not going to remember the authors, but it's called uh, How to Survive the Apocalypse. And it's a really interesting kind of cultural engagement. So I think that would make pretty close to the top of my list. I thought that was a great book.
1: Okay, good. Uh, we'll get them to look that up. Uh, and uh, I don't know if this is a quick one or uh, or, or not. Uh, Mary Hawes asked, how can we explain the three seculars visually to help yeah. people understand?
2: Well, if Mary has any ideas, she can let me know, because uh, that's the the at least presentation. um hurdle that I'm, I'm trying to figure out of what's a good way with a, a, a picture or something to to explain these so the, the three seculars which if you really want to be cool you can call them s1 s2 and s3 that's how uh we know who's an insider here who's Red Dale. <laughs> uh, so uh yeah it, it's just this sense of kind of uh, secular one is this sense of uh well, uh, the profane, the kind of sense of medieval Europe, the, that some places are profane, some places are sacred, and then in secular one kind of is this move into private religion. In secular two, I kind of tend to think of it as more of a spatial reality, where we start to think of religious and a-religious. And then secular three is what kind of we've been talking about, where the conditions of belief um, actually change. If Mary figures it out, she can can let me know I've done, you know, like thinking of things in planes like up and down stratified to thinking of things as spaces but um it doesn't seem to work so i need some art major out there graphic designer to come up with a, a good way
1: to do it they might just be listening uh, so final question goes to mike uh, edwards again and he asks uh, and i think you'll like this question uh, what do you think the vikings have done to offend god
2: well, yes, it's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I, I told you I'm warped by TV, so I've watched the the Vikings series. On, on, uh, it's on History Channel here. And there's other, I think there's isn't there some UK shows about Danes invading um, oh. the UK, like The Last King or something. Isn't there something like that? That's so are Netflix? you
1: suggesting so, that the that your football team is, is somehow wedded to the historic sins of the title of the team?
2: That's what I'm saying. Wow. I'm saying that... The abuses done in the 11th century or whatever by the Norsemen um, have meant that I can never see my team in, in the Super Bowl. And, that- and if that, <laughs> that isn't the most egocentric, <laughs> narcissistic, American, myopic com- uh, statement ever, then uh, I don't know what is.
1: But, but that is a good place to end, and it's also the, the probably the subject of your next uh, book. So uh, we'll be talking about it in a year's time. Um, a- Andy, thank you <laughs> so so much for sparing the time and giving us such a full and extensive interview. Uh, we uh, we will make sure we give a shout out to the names of your books again. Uh, but uh, but thank you for sharing the time today. That was great. Thanks. The escape pod. So Rach, yeah. uh, I enjoyed doing that. I, I had I that. I, I was sitting at my um, dining room table. Yeah. With a little picture of Andrew Root, <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> Is that you what? know that thing where you turn the, the video off. Oh. You just have a little picture, and um, and and I. The big question I was left with after that was: Is a potato a root vegetable?
0: Is that the big question you were left with? Is it? I have to, I have to say that when it got to that bit, because I listened to this interview, when it got to that bit, I did do a face palm, like, two of the big planet brains are having yeah. a conversation about zombies, secularism, faith formation, they can't work out of a flipping potatoes as a re- vegetable. And we're still night.
1: stumped, do we know? Is yes it? It is. Producer it Rachel, is. is it? Yes, yes it is. It is.
0: <laughs> well good. Listen, I, I spend my life in heels. Because I can't bear to touch mud. And I know that. You know you're a vegetable. It's a root
1: vegetable.
0: Wow. Although I did work with some young people once where it took me ages to convince them that chips come from potatoes. But anyway, that's a horrible story. (laughs) I I listened to this interview. It's just so brilliant. But I also listened to it going, oh, this is the great ache of our age. Like, faith formation Mm. is such... It is such a massive issue. And Mm. I think... I think, and you articulate so much of what I think so many of us feel, which is in the secular age, we've got to get a handle on doubt. Mm. We have to help young people doubt well. Um, we have to be really real about the questions that are barriers to faith. And and um, I love his stuff about being crossed up. Is that a phrase he yeah, yeah. uses? That we're a crossed up community, that everything we do is filtered through this Sense of absolutely dying to self, and no, I and and Christ, no. I mean, I did sit in my car listening again, hands free, thinking, "Oh goodness, does my life look like a crossed-up life?" Like I was really, it was it was so wow. compelling. I, yeah, I found I it moving. It, yeah,
1: I I was interested to hear for the first time an American articulating a bit of a shift in in thinking in American church okay, culture. Yeah. It feels like we for years. I mean, I said this in these few. It, yeah. it feels like for years we've been told that we're 20 years ahead of america that you know but for the first time you start to see that america is thinking oh Mm -hmm. hang on we're no longer a christian country young people are no longer growing up but sort of residual christianity and so so the game is going to have to change in in Mm -hmm. america i don't Mm -hmm. i don't know what that I don't know what it looks like. Will they? Will they learn from us? I don't
0: know. Because obviously I, we've done so well the last. Well, years. I, I. But I think all. of... I, I would say as I look across the global church and and youth ministry that's happening in India and Guatemala and the different forms of youth ministry, I would say that it feels globally that we've all shuffled to the same point. Mm. Like it's almost irrelevant now what part i mean i, I realize i'm speaking out of my head and i don't know this stuff i don't I know any of this i truffle, thought tra- truffle <laughs> your truffle truffle budget your
1: travel budget my travel budget her travel budget is almost as big as a truffle budget <laughs> i
0: don't have a travel so, budget she's got a huge <laughs> truffle budget <laughs> but just we're all at a point where we're saying the globalization secularization globalization young people wherever they are we've all got the same point where we're all facing the same crisis of what does it mean to raise this generation in, in faith what does that what does that look like and mm. i i can't, oh your truffle thing means it's knocks the one maybe oh, no. vaguely good idea out oh, of my brain oh did i
1: really do that oh no no, no. i back. It back? Really back. it's back it's back the
0: norwegian band because he slightly scoffed your norwegian band that's obsessed about death yeah. But when I listened to it, I suddenly thought, actually, and I'm thinking now about my lovely supernova, 10 to 13-year-old boys on my Sunday morning, um, actually all young people are facing crisis. Mm-hmm. All young people mm-hmm. are in despair. All young people. And, and I know that we might be listening to saying, oh, no, they're fine. And I don't mean like every day they're waking up saying, where is me? But actually we would say a whole generation of young people are waking up every morning going, what is the future for me? Where, mm-hmm. where is any of this going? And so I think actually being people that can talk about death, whether we do a Norwegian band or not, yeah. it's really, really important that we die to self. And I think we've got to get a whole lot more radical about that.
1: Now, next week, because <sighs> we, we've got an amazing lineup of, this season of podcasts. Of, of, what a season.
0: What a season.
1: Next week, we've got Phoebe Hill yeah. here launching a brand new piece of research from the Escape Centre of Research, yeah. um, which plays into some of this stuff and asks some of the questions about what are the big questions young people are asking mm-hmm. today? What are some of the um, questions? And, and this, this, um, this, this idea of crisis and mm. suffering and death being a, a conduit to conversations around that, that might lead to some sort of faith exploration or faith, uh, even faith formation, comes up in that. So yeah. I tease you with that, yes, because next week we're going to build on this. Good. And Phoebe... Well, I
0: need some answers. Phoebe's oh, going to
1: give us slightly. all the answers. Good. So Good. all the questions have been raised oh, this week. Oh,
0: Phoebe. It's all
1: coming. Oh,
0: it's all so I love about Phoebe and the research. stop doing that. i happy about it. You've got to stop doing that. So it. Stop doing
1: that. <laughs> now, uh, I need to talk to you uh, very briefly, what, gentle listener. Oh, no. sorry.
0: I just have a bit told off then.
1: I need to talk to you, gentle listener, about money. Um, Rachel's truffles do not buy themselves.
0: <laughs> I do not buy truffles.
1: So, uh, so we have. Don't turn off the podcast now. Do not do it. There's, bri- there's a brilliant joke coming. So don't, don't turn off yet. I
0: need to think of a joke.
1: But I do need to uh, talk to you about Patreon. So we have a Patreon page. Is it patreoncom youthscape, And we have been asking you since the dawn of the podcast if you would gently consider um, giving us a little bit of money if you are enjoying the podcast. And
0: one person has. Which One is, person, which is real cause for celebrating.
1: And I'm gonna, can I name the person? <laughs> I think we Matt should. Harris.
0: Matt, oh Matt, and Matt Harris has never even got a shout out. Like he's never Matt had has a shout had out. nothing from us. Well, um, because of giving us a little bit of money, Matt, yeah. we love you. He's had podcasts Thank though. You.
1: He's had the podcast. He's
0: had the podcast. It's just that it. he's paid for. It. He's basically Matt has paid for the podcast for everybody. He's, he's
1: bought you all a podcast. Isn't that
0: lovely? Uh,
1: so here's the idea. Okay, so new idea. Would you? If you enjoy the Youthscape podcast, would you consider sort of supporting us to the tune of $1 a month?
0: What's a dollar?
1: That's 71p oh, okay, at 71p okay. the current rate of exchange. Okay, okay. So it's not gonna it's not gonna break the bank. It's about 20p an episode. So if you don't enjoy the podcast, I mean, how are you still listening at this point?
0: <laughs> it's a fake. If point. you don't enjoy the
1: podcast, then then uh, then um, don't 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 you don't have to sponsor us. But if you if you do um, mm. enjoy the Youthscape podcast, please would you consider, prayerfully, increasing your giving by, uh, <laughs> by a dollar a month to, uh, to our Patreon page. So it's patreon.com slash youthscape. And if we start to get some people actually joining Matt, who at the moment is bearing the full weight of cost for this entire endeavour, uh, then we'll start to add some extras and things. So we'll, we'll do some like, you know, lo- unlockable extras that you only Ooh. get if you are a do- member of the dollar a month club.
0: Ooh, I feel like I'm a listener. Do you thinking... know why it's a dollar a month? Why is Because we can't a month?
1: work out how to change it
0: oh. to a pound. Oh, that's because we haven't got a budget we... to be able to pull anybody in. <laughs> we, if, if we had a budget, we could bring that. in
1: a finance person <laughs> or a computer whiz who could pay for this and, and do this. But uh, anyway, oh. it's, the, it's a dollar a month, please.
0: Yeah, please. But we love you and this will always be free. But as Martin said, it would be great to have a little bit more that we could do a little bit more with. Dear friends, we have loved speaking with you today. And we hope that everything that Andrew shared, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of wrestling with this, but I hope that we can keep this conversation going, particularly yeah. over this season. Because on our watch, we have the opportunity, don't we, to, to look for new models. Jesus doesn't change, but he is forwarded to a new address in every generation, and it's, it's true, wow. it's a quote. It's a that quote amazing, where from. did that come from? But it's a quote from somebody, I'm not sure where. But oh, it's quote true, from somebody. From somebody. Okay. And I think it's really important that on our watch we can be taking hold of this stuff and doing something different. So isn't it exciting to do this together? Brilliant podcast I'm really ending this really badly no you're not because
1: we said we'd do a shout out for uh oh. andy's books
0: yes let's do that faith then.
1: formation yes uh, in a secular age is out now the zombie available. one
0: science zombies the and, zombie one yeah, yeah. dinosaurs yeah. dead
1: dinosaurs yeah and zombies. and zombies and zombies and his
0: dietrich bonhoeffer book which bonhoeffer i think book. sounds actually phenomenal really yeah. really good
1: and is he's, he's and he's actually written a he's written a load of great books uh you should check somewhere on the youthscape store Youthscape.co.uk slash store. Uh, also, we should do shout outs.
0: Yes, to Aaliyah Pike, to the Deke family, and, and to, to our dear friends. Our friends across the waters. in Nyack College, yeah. who can give us also a dollar.
1: Yes, they easily. They even <laughs> understand. There's no rate of exchange There's there. No of exchange. For you, a dollar is actually just, it
0: works out a dollar. As a dollar. hundred cents. Oh, we love you. You're worth a billion dollars to us, you've got really yeah. lovely. <laughs> Truffles.
1: Oh no, we didn't do a joke. We should have done a joke at the end. I promised a joke. Do you know any jokes?
0: No. I do know a joke actually, it's probably a bit too long. Anyway, a wide-mouthed frog goes into the jungle, says to different animals, what do you eat? They say things like root vegetables, and eventually the last one says, I eat a wide-mouthed frog. At which point the frog says, oh, you don't get very many of those around here, do you?